Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 641 with Jenna Viviano. Jenna's got some great perspective on how you can make more successful career transitions. You'll learn one, the three sources of career clarity. Two, why networking doesn't have to feel sleazy. And three, the three things recruiters are always looking for. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, do drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP641. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to also check out our Gold Nugget email summaries. These provide the summary wisdom of each guest in an email you can read in just about two or three minutes. Those are called the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can get uh, regular emails up with the goods from Jenna and every guest to come after, as well as access to the vault of all the guests who've come before. So check them out. Here's Jenna's story. Jenna Viviano is an ex-Wall Streeter turned career coach and entrepreneur who helps ambitious professionals articulate their personal branded career stories to land their dream jobs. Big thanks to Jenna for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Jenna. Jenna, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I love your podcast. I'm a listener, so it's actually a huge honor to be here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, well we're going to be talking about job stuff, and, and I need to hear, I understand LinkedIn had a role in your engagement story. Yeah. <laughs> you love LinkedIn here. Tell us all about this. I love LinkedIn for so many reasons. But yes, yeah, so LinkedIn's a part of my engagement story. My sister was in a job transition. And she said, Hey, can you come out of the house? I need you to help me with my LinkedIn profile. So she took me to lunch to do her LinkedIn profile. Meanwhile, my now husband, then soon to be fiance was like decorating my apartment and getting it ready. So he had to get me out of the house and the ploy was to help with her LinkedIn. So oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's clever. And, and they had your number too. It's like, okay, this is something she'll bite on. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, she'll help with that. She loves LinkedIn. She'll totally help you with that. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> Very cool. Well, so I'm excited to dig into your wisdom here. Can you start us off by maybe sharing what's one of the most surprising and fascinating discoveries you've made in terms of all your years of career coaching? Yeah, gosh. I think the number one thing that I've realized with coaching hundreds, honestly, probably at this point, over a thousand people on a one-on-one basis and in groups and courses and whatnot, is that people don't realize that in order to be successful in the job search process, it's not enough to just be quote unquote qualified. It's not enough to just have a really solid resume. 
you really have to know how to sell yourself and to treat your own career almost as if it's a brand. And a lot of people don't even think like that. Okay. Well, that'll be fun to dig in. When you say you are a brand, I'm thinking of a scene from the TV series Entourage. Okay. I've never watched that show. Okay. It's kind of (laughs) trashy. So I mean, well, so anyway, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but our star, Vincent Chase, was considering going with a different agent. Okay. And it, as he was going to these different agencies, they all had the same video that they thought was really cool. And they're like, McDonald's, Starbucks, <laughs> Apple, Vincent Chase. Like, yeah. you know, you are a brand. Yes. And so maybe let's just get that covered right away. What do you mean by you're a brand? How is that different from a corporate brand? And how is it similar? And how does it inform our thinking? Yeah. So I'd say you have a brand, whether you're cultivating it or not. Most people nowadays have some type of online presence, some time of digital presence, right? So our LinkedIn profile is a perfect example. We're talking about LinkedIn, right? You have a brand, who you are, what you're about, what you have to offer, the value that you bring. That's all a part of your personal brand. What's your value proposition? What are you bringing to the marketplace? Very similar to a corporate brand. The problem is that people who are nine to five jobs don't think like that. We think, okay, I just have to have the qualifications. I should get the job. When really we have to position ourselves as candidates for the job, for our quote unquote audience or our ideal market, the employers. And too many people don't think from that perspective, which becomes a problem when you're applying and trying to differentiate yourself from the hundreds of candidates that are all applying to the same job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so then if having the qualifications isn't enough, then yeah what should we be doing? Like kind of what, what are the key steps? You've got a program, recruit the employer. Yeah. How, if, if someone is job hunting now or will be soon, yeah. what's their step one, step two, step three? Start before you're ready. Right. <laughs> I think that's the first part is start thinking about it before you're ready. A lot of people think that once I've decided to make a career change, that's going to happen immediately. And that's just not the, what we're seeing pre-COVID times, post-COVID times, it's just, it takes a while, especially if you're at a more senior level position and you're trying to be strategic in your career move. So the first thing you really need to do is understand where the heck am I going? Clarity is a huge portion of the puzzle. A lot of people will first go to their resume. Hey, I'm just going to redo my resume. That just needs to get done. It feels like you're doing and accomplishing something, but oftentimes it's either, if we're having somebody else do it, it's a waste of money if we don't know what we're using it for. So the first step really in that process is understanding what do I actually want in my career? And the second step is understanding what's valuable. What do I have to offer? What's the value that I can bring to the table? And the third step was really would really be about marketing yourself to that job. So understanding what does that employer care about? Those jobs that I'm targeting, what makes me different than every other candidate out there? So that would be the first three steps is first getting clarity, second, really understanding the value that you bring, and three, crafting a narrative to sell yourself in front of those employers. All right. Well, that's very nicely organized. Three, <laughs> three simple sections. Let's, let's <laughs> dig into each of them. So, so clarity, mm-hmm. I think I'm a weird kid in that uh, I knew I wanted to be doing people development-y things mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And that's impressive that you are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and I've learned most people are not that way. So, and many people struggle with like, well, what is it I really want? So how do we arrive at that clarity? Gosh, there's a zillion different ways to go about it. But I would say 
that we first need to think about it. I think a lot of people go to college, you know, and I, for myself. So I went to high school. I was told I should go get a finance degree and a marketing degree. So I did both of those things. I went in investment banking and realized I was really bad at finance on Wall Street. Not exactly the best place to figure that out, right? And so I had to start to ask questions about what are my actual skills and gifts? What are the things that light me up? What am I doing when I'm thriving? And then understand, okay, now where does that fit into the marketplace? Where are people looking for skills like mine? And how can I reposition myself for the job? So I was working at the New York Stock Exchange and I realized, yeah, I wasn't really good at finance, but I was really good at selling. I was really good at communicating with the CEOs of these companies that would come in. I had a marketing brain. And so I started to move more in a sales direction. And it was only through the experience of reflecting and really asking questions to people around me, like, what do you think I'm good at? I would ask my coworkers that question. I was pretty bold. Like, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I'm not good at it? So I could understand for myself and get a little bit of clarity around, okay, where can I lean into my strengths instead of just trying to make up for my weaknesses? Okay. So you reflect, you ask people questions. Mm -hmm. Are there extra questions or extra ways to get answers that are really valuable? Yeah. I think another piece of the puzzle is actually going into the marketplace and seeing what's available. I did this experiment when I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do in my next move knowing it was not finance, I started to explore companies that I thought were really interesting. And within those companies, I would actually dig into their careers page and see what jobs even looked fascinating to me. So I was really lost, mm-hmm. right? So I could actually d- dive into these job descriptions and say, yeah, I'm not qualified for that yet. Or like, I don't, that's many years in the future, but I could see that path. And I'm interested in what they, what that type of role would have. So I'd say from a very practical standpoint, it's actually seeing what's available nowadays. And then you know, apart from that, it's actually having real conversations. So we're talking about that, the reflecting piece, the really diving in and doing your own research. And then finally having conversations with people who do that actual job, asking for informational interviews and having those conversations, wondering what's a day in the life look like? Am I even going to like this thing that I want to get into? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Certainly. And so then it sounds like that, that's actually, well, I'm just a dork this way. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> In terms of, well, let's, let's explore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's explore. Let's see what's there. I remember, again, high school Pete, I was playing around the the Bureau of Labor Statistics Occupational Outlook Handbook. Wow, you really were interested young. <laughs> a fun time. As well as I was just reading books about like success, goal setting, teamwork, whatever. And like sure. those guys seem like they have cool jobs. They get to yeah. coach and speak and write and talk about this cool stuff. So yeah, what are some of the best resources there? So, so one, I just dropped the, the governmental one, and then there's actually the the job postings that are are up and out there. Are there any other particular books, websites, tools that are handy in, in exploring the whole wide world there? Yeah, you know, I have not found one that I've loved, so I don't feel comfortable necessarily sharing. Hey, this is the one to see. This is the one you should take to, you know, read up on and figure out all the different careers that are out there. I really think that having conversations and actually utilizing LinkedIn to your advantage and seeing who you can network with to understand what do other people do in really cool companies that you're interested in. Here's the thing. I worked a lot of people and the majority of people leave jobs, not necessarily because of their job function, but because of the people that they are working with or the cultures that they're a part of. So I'm actually a huge proponent of, of making people first look at the company and really diving into companies that they love to find opportunities. Well, can you tell us some pro tips there in terms of using LinkedIn and connecting with people 
how do we play that game in terms of finding the people and crafting a message that <laughs> won't get blown off and uh, having them show up and, and asking useful yeah. things of them when we have them? Yeah. So can I ask you a question? Take it away. Like, tell me what you think of when you think of the word networking. Well, it's so funny. Well, I've, I've been I've been reprogrammed on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, it's fun. <laughs> on this very specific point. So I'll tell you what I used to think and what I How think now. Yeah. And so we'll give both answers. So, so I used to think networking is like, you know, hey, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got business cards in both hands and I'm dropping them left and right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, let's do lunch. And <laughs> I'm at a mixer or a, or, or a cocktail party and I'm kind of working the room and, and kind it's of moving. It feels sleazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that was my old vision. And, and now I, I think of networking as, as just building relationships. Like you meet people, you see what, what's interesting about them, what they're into. You see how you could be helpful to them. Maybe send them a, a link or a resource or a joke or, a, or a something that uh, will, <laughs> will tickle them in, in their particular way of yeah. being and their needs. And then over time, it's like, hmm, I could reach out to a ton of people yeah. to get some advice or guidance or direction. No problem. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of people still think the former of what you thought. It's sleazy. It's uncomfortable. I always tell people networking should not be awkward. Uh, networking should not be uncomfortable. It should not be sleazy. It should be pushing you outside your comfort zone. Sure. But it really, at the end of the day, networking is just what you described. It is mutually beneficial professional relationships that are developed over time. You cannot network only when you need something. And that's where people get it wrong with networking, where they think, oh, I need a new job. I need to be networking. Yes, networking feels uncomfortable then. But if you're nurturing and cultivating a group of contacts that you are building into relationships and being in relationship with, it's not going to be uncomfortable when you say, hey, I'm looking for an XYZ opportunity at XYZ company could you introduce me? I know you know someone there, right? That becomes mm. easier. So it needs actually networking really needs to be looked at as a way of life and not like a one hit wonder <laughs> that we often treat it like. Yeah, certainly. Okay. So that's the mindset that we've adopted. So mm -hmm. check, we got it. And then how do we start finding these people? Yeah. So I say there's usually four levels of networking. There are actually your friends and family. A lot of people forget that your personal network can still be a part of your professional network. So especially if you're a career changer. And I actually did this in my own career when I was working at the New York Stock Exchange and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I would tap my friend network and I said, hey, I know you guys aren't in sales or finance or, or fashion or whatever else I was interested in. But do you happen to know somebody who is that I could talk to about their career and what they've done and pros and cons and what to look out for? And, you know, there are people that I grew up with that I forgot that their parents were like head of sales at a company, right? So we forget sometimes that our own network, our personal relationships, while they, they themselves may not have a contact, they may know somebody. So that uh -huh. is the first level. The second level is potentially current and past colleagues. Depending on your relationship with people that you work with, maybe you feel comfortable asking questions with your current coworkers, but also people who have moved on from your company, especially if you're looking to change positions or you're looking to stay within the industry, but just change a different company. Those people probably went to a different company and are doing something similar. So they're great people to tap and to keep those relationships flourishing. I know for myself on a quarterly basis, Still, I've been out of you know corporate for a while now. I still reach out to people that I worked with in corporate because I want to keep those relationships fresh. I value those relationships and I find them really beneficial. So that's the second level. The third level is actually alumni networks. A lot of people forget that your universities 
still want you to stay connected. And there's actually a really easy way to search for people that went to your college. You can actually go onto LinkedIn. On You can find your school's page. You can click on a button that says alumni, and you can actually search for someone at your ideal company to talk to them a little bit about what they've been doing. And you have that easy kind of in because you both went to the same university. So that's mm-hmm. a little hack. And then I would say the fourth level of networking is cold outreach. It's the most uncomfortable, but I have actually used it in most of my personal job transitions and where I really encourage people to step out of their comfort zone and reach out to people that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And I've been pleasantly surprised a mm-hmm. few times when, when I kind of push people for benchmark statistics on cold outreach effectiveness. It's way better than I expected. Why do you think that is? I, I see the same thing for me personally. Do you think it's just practice? I think it's, well, and I want to hear your numbers, yeah. roughly, to the extent you have them. Yeah. I think it's just because it's something human in terms of it's like, we've all been there in terms yeah. of trying to figure out what's next and get in there, those opportunities, and not quite knowing what to do. <laughs> and so I think there's just a little bit of a karmic obligation that is in us, yeah. <laughs> our psyches, and it just feels pretty good to help in terms of it's like, wow, if I can have a 15 minute conversation with somebody yeah, and that's going to either help them avoid a job they're going to hate <laughs> mm-hmm. or get closer to a job they're going to love, and that's going to impact maybe years mm-hmm. of their life and thousands of hours of their life. And it's just going to take me 15 minutes. That feels like a pretty good return on my philanthropic time. So yeah, I like you have it. a good attitude about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't mean I'm a saint. I don't always take them, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, but, but, you know, I do frequently. And so that's my just raw speculation. Now, what do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think there's a couple of things. It's, it's a matter of how the candidate or the individual reaches out to the contact, right? So I think it's never what you say, it's how you say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You could say the same thing. Hey, I want your time. And Hey, I want your time, but say it in two different ways and get two different responses. So what I recommend for people is if you're reaching out to somebody, customize it. Don't send them a copy, paste, whatever. Send them something that's customized. It's going to show that you paid attention to them. Maybe you've listened to their podcast or you have loved what their company's doing or you've seen that their team's worked on something. Maybe it's something on their LinkedIn profile you can relate to. Just customize it a little bit actually goes a long way. And then having a very clear, specific ask. Here's the problem with a lot of networking messages. I get them all the time. I'll get somebody who reaches out to me and they'll say, hey, I would love to chat with you. Let me know if you're available next week. I have no idea what their goal is. I have no idea mm-hmm. what how long they want. None of those things. So what you want to do is you want to be very clear on, hey, I'm looking to explore a career in sales. I'm just going to use that example. I'm looking to explore a career in sales. I see that you've made some job transitions in your life. Would you be open to chatting for 15 to 30 minutes? I have three questions I want to ask you. No pressure if not. Mm-hmm. So it's being very specific and also giving them an out. You're not backing them into a corner. If they can't do it, they're actually probably more likely to tell you, hey, I can't do it or actually I'll hop on the phone with you. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I dig it. And three questions. I like it because one, that's short and doable and manageable. Yeah. So I can handle three questions. And two, it's a little intriguing. Like, oh, what are the three questions? What are the three <laughs> questions? Yeah. And to your point, like people want to help if they, they, and also people love talking about themselves. So if you're giving them an opportunity to talk about themselves, they're going to be into that. <laughs> All right. Well, so, so let's fast forward a little bit. So we've got clarity. This mm-hmm. is what I'm about. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, an opportunity. That sounds mm-hmm. really juicy and, and like, mm-hmm. this is what I'm shooting for specifically. Yeah, We've got a great networking mindset and we've got some folks who have, have given us some, some insight. And, and so that really does sound like a great uh, place to be. So now what? We've got it in our crosshairs. What do we do now? Yeah. 
I think part of it is still leveraging your networking connections. 70% of jobs are placed through connections. And so whether you're having that soft ask, just asking somebody for a connection time, or you're realizing, hey, this hiring manager is on LinkedIn, I'm going to reach out to them and proactively tell them how I can bring value. So I think the next step really is understanding what is the value that I can bring? What does that person really care about that hiring manager care about? And I kind of distill it down to when you're reading a job description or when somebody's hiring you, you got to be thinking about it from their perspective. They're not just hiring you to hire a body, right? <laughs> they, they're having you be hired for a specific purpose. And it, I have never found a, a reason, not one of these three things, basically. You're either going to save a company money, make a company money, or make someone's life easier. Whether you're a janitor or the CEO, you're doing one or multiple of those three things. So when you're positioning yourself for a job, if you're having trouble understanding like what is the value I can bring, figure out which one of those three buckets you're sitting in so you can tell your story in a way that's going to be compelling to that employer. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so I, I would say that most of it comes down to you're understanding your story and then very specifically you are either reaching out to people for a networking capacity, right? You're having those conversations and telling them where you can provide value or you're applying online, right? I usually say about 80% of your time should be networking and about 20% of your time should be applying online. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once you're given the opportunity to actually get in the door, you're going to be able to tell that story. And I've worked with people who have not had any experience maybe with interviewing well and don't know how to tell their story and they're kind of all over the place. And then you bring in some structure and you actually understand the psychological implications of why someone would want to hire you. It actually becomes a piece of cake. (laughs) Well, well, tell us about that structure and, and how we execute that well. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is with the number one question that everybody hates. Tell me about yourself, no, right? <laughs> the that, first yeah. the first question we all get is tell me about yourself. It's kind of that first impression, it's that do or die moment. And a lot of people muddy it up. We think, should I should I talk about like my, you know, my whole career? Do I talk about my dog? Do I tell you about my my spouse? Like what do I talk about in that question? And I usually say break it up into three parts. You talk a little bit about what you're doing right now and how that's making an impact for the company that you're currently a part of. You tell a brief story, very brief about how you got there, highlighting the key pieces that are relevant to the job description and any information that you've gleaned before that interview, and finally landing on why you're excited to be talking to that individual and why you're excited about the organization. Mm -hmm. So it's very simple. It does not need to be overcomplicated. Where you are now, how you got there, what you're excited about for the future. And is that 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes? I'd say don't go farther than two minutes. It should be anywhere between one to two. Okay. Well, that's nice to demystify. So we don't talk about the dog or the spouse. (laughs) (laughs) You can, but my personal opinion is that's kind of in the rapport building, whether you're Mm -hmm. having a conversation in the sidelines, but when you're actually asked an interview question, they want to cut to the chase. They want to know, how are you going to help us? How are you going to help us reach our goals? How are you going to make my life easier? And I want to know that first. Okay. Well, hey, that was awesome. So a tricky question. (laughs) Tell me about yourself and and a simple approach. Simple. Don't complicate it. Give us more of those. (laughs) What are common tricky questions and then the right way to answer them? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about interview questions from strengths and weaknesses, right? That's a big one. Everyone's like, I don't know what my strengths are. I don't know what my weaknesses are. And and I think we look at this question wrong. We think that an employer is out to get us. Like they're going to take us and they're going to be like, geez, we just, we want to make sure that you're answering the question wrong. We don't want to hire you. No, they want you to succeed. They want to see if you're self-aware. So when asked that question, I would pick up a very specific strength that you have, that you have an applicable story to tell. So I'm good at this. Here's an example of how I've exemplified that in the past. And then for a weakness, just make sure it's not the like key thing you need to do the job well. Like if your core function within your role is to do is to be in Excel and you tell them you're bad at Excel, 
probably shouldn't have been applying to the job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's more about a weakness that's relevant to the job. It's not a fake thing. It's not like perfectionism. I hate that weakness, mm-hmm. but a real weakness that you have. And then what you're doing to overcome it and what you're doing to put steps in place to make sure that that weakness doesn't detract from your quality of work. <laughs> I'm just thinking right now, it's like, what are my weaknesses? Sometimes I think I'm lazy. Oh, really? Yeah. But what it really is, is I'm profoundly demotivated by pointless stuff that's not truly value added and leveraged. Yeah. And it's like, I want no part of that. Yeah. Although I really, I can, I can get really jazzed about figuring out how to outsource it. <laughs> What's the process and system by which I can make this disappear from my life forever? Ooh, let's spend hours on that. That's a yeah. juicy problem. <laughs> I'd say mine's procrastination. Like that has always, ever since I was a little girl, procrastination is definitely not a positive thing. And I've always struggled with procrastination. It was always my example. I procrastinate, but this is how I like try to make sure that it doesn't happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So you can have real weaknesses and still get a job. (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right. Well, hey, give us another one. A common tricky question and, and the best way to approach it. Yeah. Why should we hire you for this job? I think that goes back to selling yourself, right? A lot of people do think that they just need to be qualified on paper 2D, but you really have to bring that story to life. So when you're thinking about preparing for the answer of why should we hire you? And even if they don't ask that question directly, you should be answering that question throughout Mm -hmm. the entirety of your interview. That's what they want to know. Why should we hire you? And really what you want to be thinking about are what are the three main functions of that job? And how can you do that better than anybody else? And expressing that, right? We're breaking it up into three. I'm using threes a lot on purpose. It's easy for us to remember. It's easy for people to listen to. So you just break it up into three parts. What are three main functions of the job that the person who does this job has to do really well? And then explaining a story around how you've done that in the past. Now, let's say, for instance, you have a glaring objection, like you have a glaring thing you have not done, right? You have, maybe you haven't been capable of, you know, for myself, I was in sales and I never had had a sales job. I was applying for a sales position. And so I actually brought up the elephant in the room. I said, you should hire me because I don't actually have that traditional sales experience. I have, but if you're looking for somebody that's able to come to the table, that's going to be able to talk to senior C-suite leaders and help your company get to the next round of funding, I'm going to be the person for the job. So Mm -hmm. it's a mixture of confidence of declaring and acknowledging the elephant in the room, but also expressing how you're going to be able to work around it. And in that example, I don't know if I picked up on how you not having sales experience is an asset. Yes, true. So I didn't go fully into the all the details around that, but mostly the, the position that I was speaking about, that individual was asking, you know, why should we hire you? And they had had the question, hey, you don't necessarily have that sales experience. And I said, I don't have that sales experience, but here's our three other ways that I do have experience that's similar to sales and how I would plan on bringing that market to life, basically. Mm-hmm. So I was expressing to them the plan that I had in place to actually make that happen. Okay, right on. Okay, well, so then let's keep it rolling. Any other tough questions? Simple answers. Yeah. Tough questions. What do you feel like is a tough interview question (laughs) that you've experienced? Well, it's it's sort of tricky because I kind of know the answers, but uh, let's just go with it. Tell me about a time you failed. Yeah. Tell me about a time you failed. I mean, that's a really big one that I feel like a lot of people get scared about and think that they can't fail. And I actually gave a really bad answer to this in an interview. And the interviewer called me out on it. He's like, that's not a real failure. (laughs) So you should always express a failure that you own, but also what you learned from it. It's all about the learning. It's a self-awareness question. It's a behavioral question where you're getting asked, what is that failure? But then how did you overcome it? That's really what they want to know. And what about it? I love it when sometimes they get real precise 
like, tell me about a time in which, and so then there's like several very random, specific layers. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a time that that's happened to me. What do you yeah. do there? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's, again, we have to think about why are they asking that question? Mm-hmm. They're wanting to see, can you think on your feet? They're wanting to see, how would you approach a situation should that situation ever come up? And you could literally say, you know, I've never had that situation come up, but this is how I would approach it. I'm never encouraging people to lie in their in their interviews. But if you've never had that experience, say that you've never had it, but then explain, you know, if that was happening in real time, this is how I would approach it. And here's like the three steps that I would do to solve that issue. And what's your take on, I think Ramit Sethi, who's going to be on the show soon, Woo-hoo. Yeah, talked about uh, the briefcase technique or, or, or providing more or less in your interview, unveiling your plan. Like, mm-hmm. I've already thought a lot about the challenges in facing this team, this organization, mm-hmm. in this role. And here's how I would go about getting after it. What do you think about that approach? Pros, cons? Yeah. Suggestions? I think there's pros and cons to it. I think if you're really early on in the process, I'm not a fan of it just because I feel like you're giving a lot away. And I think a lot of people get stressed out about that. Like, I'm giving all of my information. What if they don't hire me? They just take my information and then they go on their merry way. I think it's really effective, though, especially if you're a career changer and you don't have a lot of experience proof, right? But to explain how you would actually come to their company and fix some things and what your plan of action would be, your 30, 60, 90 plan, I think it's really effective to prove that you are capable of doing the job. So I think it depends on your own situation, but I'm a fan of it later on in the interview process. And anything you recommend that we we don't do? Anything that's just old, bad, uh, misguided advice that's out there? I see a lot of people actually coming to the interviews too early. I know that sounds crazy, but they come to the interviews too early. And especially if we were, you know, when we were in person, people would come to those interviews and you're actually detracting from whoever is, you know, trying to host you or whatnot. It becomes really, really uncomfortable. So that would be the first thing is just come on time or about 10 minutes before. You don't need to be showing up like hours beforehand. I would say also with the interview process is not following up or not knowing what next steps look like. I see that happen a lot with people where they don't ask those very specific questions of what do next steps look like? I'm really excited about this organization and providing that follow up, asking what's going on next and being asking them to be transparent. I would say another thing outside of just the interviewing and just in general in the job search process, we forget how important mindset and confidence is in this entire process. Like it is work is not transactional. It's actually highly emotional. And so there's a lot of emotions that go into the job search process. And sometimes we think we just need a really solid strategy when really we need to probably change our mindsets. We probably do need to change our strategy, but we also need to think about ourselves different in the application process. If we don't believe that we deserve to be in the room, and I see this with women all the time, we don't believe that we deserve to be in the room. If we don't believe we deserve to be interviewing there, we're not going to do really well throughout the entire process. So I think that there's a huge mindset component that a lot of career coaches and just in the career space, we don't really talk about because it feels fluffy. And we like strategy because it feels very practical. But I think you need both things married together to be successful in the job application process. All right. Well, hey, let's say you don't feel like you deserve to be interviewed. What do you do about that? Yeah, I would say part of it comes down to what lies are you believing about yourself and who told you that? I see it with women all the time. I see women, I'll be talking to a man on the phone and I'll be talking to a woman on the phone who's interested in our services. And this literally just happened recently. I had a man on the phone who said, you know, I got let go from my job, but in my next job, I want to be making $50,000 more. And I have my female who is says the complete opposite. I got let go from my job. I w- I'm okay if I'm only making less than before, right? Mm -hmm. This is a common narrative. So I think first of it, part of it is 
for us as women to be, and men, but to be unlearning the lies that we have believed that we're not good enough, that we don't have something to bring to the table because we haven't spent the time to actually write through what is the value that we can bring and to reflect on our key accomplishments that we've had over the past year, five years, 10 years, however long we've been in the industry for. So that's a very practical thing is to actually sit down and reflect on your key accomplishments and what you've done. Okay. And then in so doing, I suppose you you take a step back and you go, hot dog. Yeah. That's a lot of good stuff. Check me out. <laughs> that's part of it. But I think part of it is acting too. So we were talking about networking. We were talking about actually taking steps where a lot of people sit in the, the mind space of I'm not good enough. And instead, we really need to be having conversations with people. We really need to be putting ourselves out there. And the more that you do that, the more comfortable you get with rejection. And the more comfortable you get with rejection, the the easier it becomes to continue to actually move forward. So resilience is one of the top things I talk about a lot in my programs with my women is you've got to be resilient throughout the process and know that there's going to be rejection that happens. That means you're doing something and you just got to keep pushing forward. Boy, I I love that. And, And I'll tell you, I think one of the best experiences of my life was. So I wrote a book in, in college and I ended up self-publishing it. But before I chose that route, I reached out to all these publishers. And so this is a little bit old school. Yeah. Cause, uh, and so I sent them the one page query letter, just like sure. the books told me to. And so, so I sent like 200 something of these out. And so then to have that daily experience where day after day after day, I opened the physical mailbox and there's, I don't know, two, three, six letters back to me and almost all of them say no (laughs) again and again and again was just so valuable (laughs) because it's kind of like for the hundredth time I've been rejected and for the hundredth time I'm not dead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So no, I highly recommend it. Getting rejected a ton. How else do we get over it? I think a lot of people, we try to avoid it as much as possible. And so then when it does happen, we really think we're the worst things ever. But if you're just used to getting rejected or just used to putting yourself out there and not getting the exact result that you wanted, it's actually going to build that resilience and make you more more confident. What I've personally found in my own career and then with other people that I've worked with, the more at-bats that you get, the better opportunities that you have in the future. I've seen this happen. We had one of our clients she came to us and she didn't really know what she had to offer. She like literally couldn't tell you. I asked her, you know, what would you do? And she's like, I literally have nothing. And after our time working together, she really went through this like mental transformation of realizing, oh, I'm actually good at what I do. Actually, what I do is differentiated from other people. And this is valuable to organizations. She ended up um, getting an offer. Another company was going to be working for a leader that she really admired, was going to be making more money. And she at that point felt so confident. She was like, no, I'm actually going to turn that down because I want to launch my business. Like that's mm-hmm. a level of confidence that I want to see most women have. <laughs> yeah. That's and, cool. Yeah. Well, so we, we kind of skipped past the resume because that's, that's not the first thing to do. And it's yeah. not the end all be all, although it's very yeah. concrete and specific. It feels like you did a thing when you're done, but, but yeah. lay it on us a couple do's and don'ts for the resume to make it awesome. I would say the first don't is don't spend all your time doing it. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that's a nice don't. (laughs) Uh, Just don't do it. Here's the thing. Your LinkedIn profile is like passive income. It works for you while you sleep. Your resume is only going to work for you when you submit it. So we have all these people that are spending all this time tweaking their resume and updating it when a recruiter only looks at it for six seconds. So yes, do you need a solid resume? Does it need to share your accomplishments? Do you need to quantify as many things as possible to make it easier for that you know, recruiter or hiring manager to understand how you've been able to bring value. Yes, yes, and yes. But the hours that I hear people spending on their resume makes me nuts. <laughs> <Go> nuts. Mm. <laughs> 
So I think the main thing would be just stop spending so much time. And I would rather you spend more time engaging on LinkedIn, which is actually going to work in your favor. Okay. Lovely. Well, Jenna, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. (laughs) No, I would say the big thing is that if you're thinking about making a job transition, start before you're ready. Start before you're like, I need to leave now. And then I would say, get yourself a plan. Don't walk into this and try the the do-it-yourself route. Really create a plan for yourself. Either get help from somebody or create a plan because no one ever taught you actually how to find a job. Our colleges, unfortunately, didn't teach us how to do that. And so by creating a plan and knowing the story that you want to tell about your own career, those are the two most important pieces to the puzzle. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote? Yeah, it's actually from my dad. He said this to me when I was leaving investment banking and I was really upset, I felt like I was failing everybody, including myself and my boss. And he said, you know, Jenna, a company is only going to be as loyal to you as what makes financial sense for them. So if you need to leave for health reasons or personal reasons, it's okay. Yeah, that is very true. There may be some rare exceptions with small family, family-owned, closely held, whatever organizations. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's kind of like, oh, hey, the market dipped. Okay, 3,000 heads got to go and uh, you're one of them. Right. Yeah. And I think pe- we take it very personally because it is very personal. But I think when we adopt that mindset, it also allows us as individuals to make choices and be strategic and take back our careers and quit waiting for an employer to tell us what's next. We actually date to take ownership of that. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, I would say right now, I've done a lot this past year around rest. And there was one book by a gentleman, Alex. I'm going to totally butcher his name, but it's a blue book. I can picture it in my brain. And he talks about the rhythms of the most creative people and how rest is a huge part of that. And I took a two-month sabbatical this year. And so I've just been really studying how rest can actually benefit us in our work. Mm, Thank you. And well, I was going to ask about a favorite book. Sounds like it might be the resting (laughs) book, but uh, any others? (laughs) Yeah, I would say, you know, this is such a cheesy entrepreneurship one. The first one that got me introduced to entrepreneurship was the four hour work week. I think that's everybody's, but I love me some old school Tim Ferriss. All right. And a favorite tool. Yeah, I love Loom. L-O-O-M. Oh, me too. It's fantastic. We use it for training videos. I'll send a, a client something. We use it all the time. I love it. Okay. And a favorite habit? Yeah, morning routine. So for me, it looks like getting up around six o'clock. It's making my coffee. It's having some quiet time with the morning pages. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. It's basically writing freehand three pages of just whatever's in my head, dumping it down. And then I'm a Christian, so I read my Bible in the morning and then I'm getting in the shower and getting ready to go to work. And is there a particular nugget you share that with clients that really seems to connect and resonate? They quote it back to you often? Probably the <laughs> don't network when you need something. <laughs> okay. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah. RecruitTheEmployer.com is the best place to find all things me and Recruit the Employer. Okay. And you have a final challenge for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. I would say to take action today. So pick one thing that we talked about, whether it's you're figuring out your strategy or you're writing down an answer to an interview question or you're networking with one person, take one of the things that we talked about and start taking action today. All right. Jenna, this has been a treat. Thank you. I wish you lots of luck in your adventures. Thank you so much. I really appreciated Jenna's take on the three ways to define your professional value. Either you're going to save a company money, you're going to make a company money, or you're going to make someone's life easier. I think that's pretty darn collectively exhaustive and really handy if you think, okay, what do I do? Well, how does that lead to the making of money, the saving of money, the making of someone's life easier? And and by looking at it through those lenses, I think you can really sharpen your story there as with a focus on the results and the quantification and really translating how what you bring to the table is going to yield at least one of those three results. So a great quick tip to sharpen your messaging 
Again, those show notes, transcripts, and links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP641. And I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 